0: As I said, the last regular large group of our uh, fall semester. It seems crazy that we're already wrapping up, um, and yet here we are. Uh, I, my name is Nick Bratcher. As I said earlier, I'm the campus minister of RUF here, and I'm glad that you're here tonight. Uh, if you've been with us this semester, we've been walking through the parables in Luke as part of our series, Parables, uh, Simple Stories with Spiritual Significance, and tonight's passage. Luke 15, 11 through 32 might be the most popular or the most well-known uh, parable of all parables, and it's the parable that's commonly known as the prodigal son. Uh, but this name really doesn't do justice to the parable itself, which features two sons, not one, and is more about both of their lostness than it is about one of them being bad with money, which is what like prodigal means. It's like a wasteful spending. Uh, the parable itself actually ends with this sentiment in verse 32. Uh, You guys have it printed on your uh, bulletins, and also I think it's coming up behind me. Uh, In describing the plight of one of the lost sons, the father ends with this statement. This is the end of the whole parable. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Uh, This is actually what Jesus has been talking about for all of uh, chapter 15, Uh, is about lostness. And the point that it makes is this, uh, that there is an experience that is worse than death and an experience that is greater than life and those things are to be lost right to be lost is maybe the greatest human tragedy the bible can imagine and to be found is actually the greatest good that can happen to you in the bible and so uh, this subject of lost and found is the note on which jesus is going to be talking tonight and it's it's what we're going to examine um do you guys know how uh, in Walmart there are clothes racks that are either – some of them come in circles, but then some of them have like four like spires sticking out of them, and then there's like a space in the middle? Both of these have like a space in the middle. Well, when I was a kid, uh, that space is just uniquely designed, I think, for a small child to go inside of said space. Some of you guys are nodding like, dude, that's what everybody does, of course. Uh, you already know where I'm going with this. Uh, to get a child inside, and then once you're in there, basically nobody, kn- it's like a hideaway. It's like a little fort kind of thing. And I used to do this all the time. My mom would be shopping and I like would just feel this little space calling to me and I would just wander in. I wouldn't mean to be lost particularly, but my mom, you know, after some time, would notice like her son is not here anymore, think I got abducted by some predator, and then be like, ah, and like yell out. And I would be like, oh, I'm just right here. And she would then proceed to scold me, uh, as she should have. Um, But uh, one time, uh, my mom, uh, you know, would normally call me after a little bit, would notice that I wasn't there. She was shopping for something in the women's clothes section or whatever. And so I was very disinterested as like a small boy. And I go into one of these little hideouts, and I just stay there. And probably 30 minutes passes. Uh, what felt to me like hours, and I realized, like, I don't know if my mom is still here. And I, like, pop out, and I look around, and she is nowhere to be found. Uh, I am, I'm lost. Uh, and in this, like, grocery store, and I start, like, panicking and, like, running around, like, trying to see if she's somewhere, In ev- every place that I looked, uh, she's not there. And... I think the point that this parable is making tonight is at least this, that everyone is in this space, uh, that we all feel like this to some extent about our real lives, like panicked children searching desperately for uh, this thing that will make us feel safe and feel the joy and happiness that we know deep down we're, we're made for. But what happens is this, uh, in our real lives, we do the same thing that I did uh, in this Walmart is... Uh, we make excuses to say we're not lost, right? I did this, uh, whenever I was in Walmart, I, uh, I sat as I sat in that coat rack and time passed, I said, well, maybe my mom is just trying stuff on in the, you know, clothing section. And then when I got out, I said, maybe she's, maybe she's in the, the women's try on section. Maybe she's just like around the next corner or around the next corner. And I kept looking and looking and looking. Not admitting to myself that I'm lost, not admitting to myself I need to go talk to a cashier and be like, excuse me, I'm lost. You know, like I, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to uh, admit that. And in real life, we do the same thing. We run to parties, to a boyfriend or a girlfriend, to classroom achievements, to the gym or a weight room or to honor societies or even, uh, you know, social justice initiatives or like maybe even RUF. Maybe you came here tonight because you thought, uh, as long as I go to RUF, I'm a good person, I'm home, I'm safe. Uh, I, you know, I have what I'm supposed to have done. We, we run to whatever we think will make us feel found, will make us feel safe and secure and solid. Uh, and worst of all, um, a lot of times as we're doing this and we feel that we're not really home, uh, that we're actually deep down lost and we haven't found the thing we're looking for in all this busyness, uh, the worst part is that we call this period of our lives college. We say, like, you know, that's college. Uh, and, yeah, you got it. There it is. Turn it back on. Uh, we say, that's college. And we just assume that this nagging sense that we have, this nagging feeling that this isn't enough, the things that we're doing aren't enough, we push that down and we just write it off as, like, that's what life is supposed to feel like right now. Uh, that I'm, I'm supposed to feel like everything is empty and that nothing is good enough. Nothing's, enou- nothing's enough for me. Um, but that's just, I'm enjoying the experience. That's what this is for. And uh, this isn't going to cut it. What I want to argue to you is, like, you can ignore, just like I did as a kid, you can ignore the fact that you're lost, but that doesn't mean that you've actually found your mom, <laughs> right? Uh, you can ignore the reality of the situation you're in, but that doesn't make you found And you can do that for the next four years uh, or less if you've been here a while, Uh, but um, that doesn't change the state that you're actually in. So Jesus tells this parable to folks who are struggling with these exact same things that I just enumerated. Uh, There were people who were morally upright for their day called Pharisees who uh, would have been in every RUF and every crew and every Chi Alpha and on church on Sunday and would have been like the rock stars of the group, and they would be heading up international justice mission, right? They were they were morally superior people. Uh, he tells this parable, parable to them, and then he also tells it to sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and uh, drunks who were chasing this feeling the same way that the Pharisees were, uh, much the same way we do now. They were chasing this feeling of being found. And the parable tonight we're going to look at, Uh, how each of these two sons are actually lost uh, in different ways and how the father in this story finds them with the hope that in a similar way, right, as we are lost in maybe similar ways to either of these two people or maybe in some ways both of these uh, two sons, we too can be found by our heavenly father. So we'll be answering this question. This is the question I want you to think about tonight. How can you be found, right? If we're all in this lost state, if we're all looking to things around us to make us feel secure and happy and enough and and to say that my life is happy and enjoyable, right? If we're all looking to these things and they're not really satisfying deep down, uh, how can I be found, right? How can you be found? That's the question I want you to to think about. All right, so let's read the passage. This is Luke 15, 11 through 32, uh, the parable of the Prodigal son, a.k.a. the parable of the prodigal son and his begrudging brother and the good father. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let us pray. God, help me uh, to articulate clearly your truth uh, that is found in this parable, and for these students to be warmed in their affections toward you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So remember tonight, as we look at this passage, we're answering the question, how can you be found? How can you be found? Uh, I'd like to start tonight by looking at the traditionally lost son, the, the one that it's named after popularly, the younger brother. I won't retell the whole story, but I'd like to highlight a few key points. Uh, first, let's look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. The story begins with this younger son asking for his portion of the inheritance. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, 17 actually establishes a statute for Israel to follow about this, how they were to divide up inheritances. And essentially, the firstborn was to get a double portion, And then the second born, if there were two sons, uh, would get a third of the inheritance. So he would get two times as much as the the second son, a.k.a. the second son gets a third of of whatever his father possesses. But of course, the major shock here is not that uh, the son wants an inheritance, but that he wants it before his father is dead. Uh, Judaism actually had advice for requests such as this, uh, I've heard sometimes in some sermons, people will say that like he wanted his father dead. Um, given the fact that there's like a like actual like guidelines, popular guidelines running around at the time, this wouldn't have been like a like a far fetched scheme. Like this is something that could really happen in Jesus' day. Um, a book called the Sirach, which was written about 175 years before the life of Jesus, gives this advice: to son or wife, to brother or friend, give no power over yourself while you live, and give not your goods to another. So as to have to ask for them again, the real error here, according to the rock and the wisdom that's like flying around as Jesus is telling this parable is that to divide up the inheritance early is actually to put your family in financial difficulty, right? That when you split up what you have currently, you're siphoning off part of what makes profits, right? This is like a, this is an agrarian culture. So if you sell off a third of your farm, that's a third of your income that you'll get in perpetuity for the rest of your life. And so uh, what ends up happening is uh, that this son comes to him and essentially asks, hey, I know this might be hard for you and the rest of the family, but I want that now. And I don't care if that makes it difficult for you. I want what I want. Uh, he cares about himself or the desires of his father's heart. But here's the here's the crazy thing. Uh, part of his love, part of the father's love for his son is that he gives it to him, that he divides up the property and he won't force his son to stay. But of course, this begins a downward spiral and I'll just summarize it. In verses 13 through 19, we read that this son takes all the money and blows it on what's called reckless living. And if the older brother is to believe in verse 30, he spends the bulk of it on prostitutes. Uh, on uh, hiring people to have sex with him, and he winds up longing to eat from pods uh, made from hollowed out carob trees that were used to feed pigs and other livestock um, and this is like this is food that like the people in the house wouldn 't have eaten right this is like moldy or gross or like expired whatever uh, that 's just scraps that they can feed to something that has no discerning palate and Honestly, this is a huge no-no for any Jewish person listening to the story. They would have been like, from the pods? You know, it's, This is you would only do this if you were the most destitute person in that society. There is nowhere to go uh, lower than this. Uh, they're not allowed to eat pork. In fact, if you do, um, so he's eating the stuff that the pork eats, but uh, if you eat pork, you, you actually forfeit, Isaiah tells us, you forfeit being an Israelite. So he he doesn't even have a nationality anymore. This is what he's contemplating: no family and not even like a home country. Um, I won't I won't spend a lot of time with this because I mentioned already. But many of us are in the same lost position, uh, and maybe we don't want to admit it. But we're going our way, our own way, because we're in college, and and this is what we're supposed to do. We're left with this sinking feeling of emptiness. Uh, And in a spiritual sense, we're impoverished. We're just as impoverished as this uh, young man who is thinking about eating from the pig trough. Uh, And the question is, uh, that we started with, is like, what are we going to do with this feeling? How do we become unlost or how do we get found? Well, I'm going to make one point about how not to do it. Uh, Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. It says this young boy, this like younger brother, came to himself right came to himself he knows enough about his father to realize that if he goes back to the family farm and begs he'll be treated better than one of his father's hired servants better than he's being treated right now and so he heads back with his tail between his legs and he does something that you this is like the beauty of Jesus telling this parable he does something that you and I have all done at least once in our life he starts rehearsing the speech he's going to tell his dad when he comes back right You know how if you've ever gotten in trouble when you're a little kid and you're like, okay, so I'll say like, you know, it was really tempting to eat the pie because it was left out. And I thought when we leave things out that we could eat them. You know, I know mom said not to eat it, but it was just, it seems inconsistent. You like try and like lawyer yourself out of being in trouble. And this is what this guy's doing, right? This is what the younger brother's doing. He's sitting there and he's he's rehearsing in his head, okay, how can I, what can I say that's going to make this situation not so bad. How can I avoid being in so much trouble? How can I woo my dad uh, back to my side of things? He's, pre- he's prepared to negotiate to like cut a deal with his father. But look at Luke 15, 20. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Uh, while he was still a long way off, the, the son may have forgotten about the father, but what this tells us is that the father has never forgotten about this son. He's he's standing there looking, waiting for him to come up over the horizon. And as soon as he sees him, he takes off. And for the record, this is even like, for us, we're like, oh, wow, that's so loving that he does this. This is even bigger in Jewish society. So traditional Jewish custom at this time was that a father would always wait to be approached by his son, Right? and then he would be addressed with a sign of respect, uh, receive some sort of indication of of respect from the son to the father, and then only then would the father respond to the son. That's like custom. Uh, And instead, uh, the speech that the younger son has here, um, like it would have been been appropriate, right? In normal situations, it would have been appropriate for this uh, son to say like, hello, my great and esteemed father, like you are great to our family. Thank you so much. Uh, That would have been a normal greeting. How much more so is it actually appropriate for the son to just blurt out as fast as he can, like, you're a great dad. Sorry, I sinned against everybody. Make me a hired servant. Like it's perfect setup for him to like spew out this, this speech that he's rehearsed. But God's grace is exceptional. Look at this. The father doesn't wait he initiates the relationship uh the, like re the reestablishment of their relationship he runs to the son not the other way around right the son is actually afraid to go back to the father is afraid of what will happen hopes that it'll go well for him has a speech prepared but the the father isn't going to wait for him to get there instead he runs out to the son and kisses him uh not the other way around and he does not and for the record he doesn't just say he's forgiven right uh, and he hugs and kisses him. The son, uh, like, and this is the, this is something I can also relate with. The son doesn't get the hint of what's happening here, right? The father runs out, is like kissing him. Can you imagine this? Is like kissing him. And the son is still trying to like eke out the speech that he has prepared, right? He's like, you know, uh, look at verse forty, uh, verse 21. Before he can get out, out all this stuff about becoming a servant, the father does the most wild thing of all. He throws a party. He throws a party. Now, y'all, you got to listen to me when I say this. This is insane. Like, this is absolutely insane what this father is doing. There, there's plenty of stuff in our culture about being forgiving, right? Like, every, everybody says it's important to forgive people. Um, even all the major world religions have some amount of teaching on, like, forgiving people, even if it's just, like, letting go, like, uh, in Buddhism or something. There's, there's this element of forgiveness as being, like, a good thing. Endemic to humans, um, but no religion, no nothing, no thing that your teachers will tell you, no way that the world works, no way that your life functions. Nothing will work like this. No party you will attend. No no group of friends you have. Nothing in the world works like this, where someone would throw a party for somebody who not just forgive them not just look the other way not just say like okay i guess it's fine i you know i it, everybody makes mistakes but instead throws a party because the son who has squandered a third of his like a third of the family wealth on prostitutes has come home <laughs> um, look look at verse 22 uh, sackcloth and ashes uh, of repentance sure that makes total sense that's what we would expect but Instead, we get a robe, a ring, and new sandals. Look at verse 23. Bread and water for a prisoner? Uh, Or like the impoverished or somebody in this kid's situation? Well, at least it's the decent thing to do. Give him bread and water. But no, a fattened calf. Uh, Maybe sad tears, some crying on the part of the father over his lost money, or on the part of the son for his complete and utter disregard for his family. But no, a party. What kind of person throws a party for somebody like this? It's insane. It makes no sense. Out of this world, unreal, unrelenting grace. That's what this is. It's grace. It's absolute grace. We learn here that while the son has forgotten his father, um, the, son didn't, the father didn't forget the son. He's been waiting. Um, and it's the, it's the first answer to our question, how can you be found? Uh, come home. Come home to the real party uh, that 's our first answer tonight. How can you be found? Come home to the real party. Simply turn around. Uh, there is no life apart from god there's uh, the college life can 't give you what God can, uh, whatever it 's offering you and and there 's no script to rehearse there's no there 's no bartering with god there 's no hey you know i I know that I sinned earlier and, you know, I know that I, you know, looked at something on my computer, I should, I I did this horrible thing that I shouldn't have done, I, I, I gossiped in this way, or I did, I don't know what it is for you that you think, um, I've really messed up, I've really messed up, um, I've, 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 you know, given over too much, uh, to the things that I know God doesn't want me to do. Whatever that thing is for you, um, you need to hear, like, hear this truth, that there is no script. God is waiting to run to you if you will turn around and receive Him. Uh, that it's not a it, it's it's not something that you're going to work toward. That you know that you can you can weasel your way into God's grace. No, instead He runs at you with open arms before you have said a word, before you've earned a bit of it. Um, all those things you were searching for in your wandering, and, you know, the significance you want, the acceptance you want, the affirmation, the approval, all those things that being, you know, the king of the party or or the most, uh, I don't know, the most fun thing that this world can offer you, um, God longs to throw you a real party, a real party, the homecoming party, the party you were meant to attend. But what what of the older brother, right? What of this other person, the one who dutifully stayed home? Uh, Jesus has offered grace to the sinners of his day, to these, uh, to text collectors and sinners and and just, uh, you know, all around bad people and the promise of this father's smile and embrace in this parable. But what about the Pharisees? What about these people who look down their noses at everybody else who are too good? Um, How are those who are supposedly within the good people, maybe even within the church who do the right things morally, and you know, maybe they build houses for poor people or, or pursue whatever social issue is popular today, right? Seems mispressing. How can they be lost? How can they be lost? Uh, look with me. Uh, uh, I think it's verse 27. Um, oh, sorry, 26, I think. Look at me at verse uh, 26. As he comes in from the back work of the day, this is when the, the younger brother comes in, um, yeah, uh, he comes in from the backbreaking work of the day, and a servant tells him that the commotion is actually from uh, a party. With there's there's music and dancing, and it's being thrown. Wait for it, for the younger brother who has returned. Right, he'd have probably been like, "What? We're we're dancing, we're singing, okay? Weird. Uh, there's music, and then he hears it's because your brother came home." And this just like snaps him. Surely, surely there is some injustice here as the father throws this big party for a son that's put them all in financial jeopardy. He feels it. He feels the same thing that you all feel uh, that you would even feel if you were staying there. Think about this. If one of your siblings, right? Think about this. If one of your siblings took a third of everything your parents have ever worked for and then blew it on, on like just dumb, like whatever things they thought were going to make them feel better in, a, in any moment, right? Just squandered everything. Would you be like, yes, like let's throw them a party. It would be the last thing on your mind. You'd be like, you're an idiot. And like, fine if mom and dad forgive you. I guess I forgive you, but you're still an idiot. You know, you wouldn't say like, you know what we should do right now? Let's celebrate them. <laughs> We don't celebrate people like this. And you can feel the, the older brother's anger boiling up uh, as, he, as he hears this. And, and that's why we find him in verse 28. He's angry at this party, and he refuses to attend it. He won't even go inside. But how does the father respond? Uh, well, it's in the same verse. His father came out and entreated him, right? The end of verse 28. His father came out and entreated him. Notice how the posture of the father is actually the same to both of these brothers, right? It doesn't matter whether they're a sinner or a saint. The posture of God is always to leave the party and come bring you in. Whether you're better than everybody else or worse than everybody else, God wants you to be part of the party. But if we're honest, the, the older brother, like there's something about us that's kind of like, yeah, but he's got a point to stay out there, man. Uh, You, you know, he doesn't even seem that lost. He actually seems pretty, pretty reasonable, uh, Many of us would probably feel similarly, right? Like, it's, it's kind of crazy that, that the father wants to do this. Uh, but look at verse 29. Uh, here's the tip-off that this older brother, though he's seemingly at home, is just as lost as the younger brother ever was. In responding to the father's pleas to come inside, the older brother says this, "'Look, these many years I've served you, "'and I never disobeyed your command, "'yet you never gave me even a young goat "'that I might celebrate with my friends.' The older brother isn't angry uh, about his brother's forgiveness uh, in, in the narrow sense. He's angry that he hasn't gotten even more from the father by comparison, right? Where's his party? Where's my party? Where's my, where's my calf, at least a calf for my friends? Uh, hasn't he uh, at least earned more than his younger brother by his obedience? In asking these questions, we learn something about the older the, about the older son, why he obeys and stays home. It's not out of love for the father, right? He doesn't even really know the father. He doesn't even really know what the father's like uh, because he's so surprised by this thing. Uh, Instead, uh, he's lost to his own moral superiority. Uh, He's lost to this. uh, This obedience, he thinks, warrants the father's favor. And what he's really doing when he does this, what he's really doing when he does this is he's treating his father like a vending machine, right? Right? Uh, the other son does it by like just asking straight up for one third of the inheritance, but by assuming that his obedience ought to warrant him more things than his brother, right? He's treating in he's treating his father just like a vending machine. He puts it in his obedience, his sacrifice, his work out in the field. He comes in and he expects now to receive the benefits of that, the product he's paid for with all that obedience. In some ways, this pity party is an attempt to like you guys ever had something get stuck in a machine? Like it comes out and like like hits the, the glass and you have to like shake it and then it won't give you anything or it like shuts down or whatever. This is his attempt to like shake the machine. Hey, give me what I'm owed. I put in my quarter. I, I obeyed. Now give me my stuff. Uh, his bag of Lay's has gotten stuck. Some of, some of us treat God the same way. We think a relationship with God is all about doing the right things, Being a good person, having the right values, as long as I have the right social values, I do the right things, then I have the right relationship with God and God's going to bless me. God is cool with me. We have a mutually beneficial relationship, but God's not a vending machine. Uh, He does not fit inside your box. You can't earn things from him because guess what? He doesn't need anything from you. This father needs nothing from his son. He's self-sufficient. Uh, he has plenty of hired servants, we find out, right? He's not, he's not hurting for his son's help. He wants to lavish it upon him. And we see this even more clearly in verse 31. The father's response, uh, you know, in the parable, it's telling. After listening to his son tell him all that he's earned, he replies with the truth, "'Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours.'" "'The party is offered to him by grace.'" His own party is offered to him by grace. It's always been by grace. Uh, The real party is in being home with the father. He's already given him everything he needs. He already owns everything that he wants to own. Uh, The real party is being home with the father in knowing him and enjoying him. No wonder the older brother begrudges the younger brother because in his system of moral superiority, he does deserve the party that the younger brother doesn't. Um, he has earned his party, but god doesn 't work this way uh, i 've I've said this before this semester, but the reality is none of us are this, none of us are perfect, and the only illusion we have at being perfect or being better than other people is when we push other people down and we think well i 'm not like this person like this brother does. He has a po- perfect scapegoat in his younger brother, and he uses it to say, "I deserve my lays for my vending machine Grace. Real extravagant grace has always been on offer to both sons uh, the whole time. So how can you be found? That gives us our second answer. How can you be found? Come home to the real party. Come home to the real party. I know. I just said the same answer for both sons. That's because it is the same answer for both sons. Right? It doesn't matter if you're here tonight and you have been the most perfect obedient person, you went to every Sunday school through high school, and you come to every RUF, and you're reading the Bible every day, none of this earns you God's favor. You can't earn God's favor. Uh, He gives it to you by grace. He throws you a party by grace. Um, And he is inviting you, as he invited the Pharisees in this parable, you've always been home. It's good that you obey me. It's good that you love me. That's great. But if you just love me to get stuff from me, you don't really love me. I'm a vending machine to you, uh, and, and you're using it actually to beat other people with it, that you have more coins, you have more stuff, you should earn more things. Instead, see your lostness in this. See your self-righteousness as a lostness in this. Uh, Tim Keller puts it like this. Uh, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Whether you believe uh, you stand in need of God's grace or above it, the answer is repentance. It's the same answer. Come home to the real party. Uh, Turn away from the sin, either your self-righteousness or your unrighteousness. This life that you live that says, uh, whatever I want is good for me. I'm just going to do that. And turn to God. Both of these have the same remedy in placing one's faith in Jesus Uh, The reality is uh, that God has come to us at great cost to himself. This party isn't free, right? He has to eat the loss of a third of his wealth to throw it. But God's willing to do that, and he's done that in his son Jesus, right? He sent him to be the price, the cost for our sin, and now we get to have a party. Uh, God has planned uh, for us to be uh, the center of a fiesta unlike any other. Uh, so that we can know his love for us. I hope we'll accept that invitation to that party each and every day, regardless of where we are in our walk with him. Let's pray.